Welcome back to the Boldly Went podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear the brief and true adventure stories told in front of live audiences at Boldly Went shows by outdoor enthusiasts and athletes of all kinds. I'm excited to be sharing the stories with you in this week's episode. Thanks for listening. My name is Angel Mathis, and I'm the regular host of the Boldly Went podcast. And today's episode is titled, Be the Boss. And it's all the ways we take responsibility for ourselves and our relationships. It's about who we let guide us and how we let our experiences dictate our lives. Keep listening. Guess what, buddies? It's the final episode of this season, and I am so excited to share these really good stories with you, along with some exciting news. First, I want to start this episode by saying how grateful I am to be sharing this life experience with you of creating inclusive environments where outdoorists of all kinds have equal access to sharing their adventure stories. I love what we are creating and I know that we do it together. I love your stories and the depth they bring to my world. I hope you experience the same. So let's start today with this story by Neil Severson from Bend Boldly Went. Neil is going to tell us a story. Colorado monsoon season. Favorite sport, leaping in. Biggest brag, almost singing with Paul McCartney. Almost. So when your music teacher gets the opportunity to select a children's choir to sing Let It Be with Paul McCartney at the Nobel Peace Prize concert in Oslo, Norway, she picks her favorites and I was not one of them. She hated my guts. She hated my guts. I had to write like 300 lines in a notebook once because she thought I was ignoring her when I wasn't. All that. Neil is a boldly went favorite. We actually use a previous story shared by Neil in our adventure storytelling workshop where we teach the boldly went five rule adventure storytelling strategy. The first rule is go out hard, meaning have a strong opening. Listen closely to hear how Neil demonstrates this again in this story. Here's Neil. So I look back at my friend David. He is slowly walking down the talus ridge. His cheeks are flushed. His legs look kind of stiff, almost robotic as he's slowly trudging along. He's breathing hard, walking downhill. My hair on every part of my body stands up on end, not because I was nervous, but because water vapor, turbulently being updrafted and thrown around in the cloud we were in, created hundreds of thousands of volts of electrostatic charge, waiting to find its tipping point and a place to release. A low hum filled the rocks around us. There was crackling in my ears. Little tiny invisible tendrils of electricity were trying to find somewhere to go. We were in the lightning storm. Several months before, I had just traveled to Vegas to help film interviews for a StarCraft video gaming tournament. So needless to say, aside from running past the line for the nightclub with Takeout Panda Express so we could go catch the semifinals, I was pretty sedentary. 
I graduated college and was super excited to get into parkour and promptly smashed my wrist. So I was back on the couch. I spent the summer hanging out, and then one of my friends, and this is in uh, Boulder, Colorado, he invited me to go hike a 14er. It's Mount Sherman. It's the easiest one, standard route. I quickly look at the route description, two and a half miles, 2,000-something elevation gain. Sounds really simple, right? So I invite my friend who had just moved here from Houston, and I figured he'd be a little bit out of breath, but such an easy hike, right? So morning comes, we do everything wrong, sleep, oversleep the alarm for 30 minutes, go get gas in a deli sandwich on our way out of town, drive across town to pick up our friend who wanted to go last minute. So we're at the trailhead, we're finally ready to go, and the clouds are already building. Now, if you know Colorado monsoon season, this is an inevitability. You want to be on your way towards treeline by noon, if not sooner. We're getting close to the summit on this ridge, and the clouds are looking pretty dark. I'm thinking, yeah, we're probably pretty close. Let's just go up to the summit and kind of book it back. I had already you know, spent a couple uh, afternoon hikes kind of jogging towards treeline because the lightning started to fly and I wanted to be away. So I kind of knew the deal, or at least I thought I did, because now we're trying to return from the summit. I'm watching my friend David, who's just, he is really out of sorts. You know, his limits were pushed. He was far beyond the uh, reasonably tired level and into mindlessly slogging along, hoping that the hike ends at some point. Um, we are walking along the ridge towards the incoming thunder cell. The black wall of clouds envelops us, and the crackling starts. I look around. I'm with two other friends, and I guess I realize I'm the most experienced guy here. I had read through my Boy Scout handbook. I knew the lightning safety position. But I also look at the ridge, and we are the highest point on it. So we go along as the, fa the fastest pace we can until we find one boulder that's maybe just a little overhead height. So I say, this is good enough <laughs> as anything. We're just rolling the dice at this point, and we shelter under it. I'm sitting there crouched in the lightning safety position, which is feet together, crouched down, hands over the ears, as much to drown out the sound of the rocks that were crackling as to protect my hearing if thunderstruck nearby. 45 terrifying minutes later, the crackling subsides. I had pulled out my phone when we crouched down initially and sent the text message that no parent wants to ever get, which is, hey, just so you know, I'm on the standard route of Mount Sherman and we're getting caught in a lightning storm. So if you don't hear from me in a couple hours, you know what to do. <laughs> Which, to her credit, she took incredibly well. And I just played it off like, oh yeah, it was fine. We just, it was a little bit of a storm, whatever. Um, so I say, hey, we're all good. We're all OK. And then we spend a, a very uh, gut-wrenching hike back. And no lightning ever struck closer than maybe a quarter, half a mile, which is obviously close, but not unheard of. And 
we got incredibly lucky. We immediately headed down to the car and then down to Breckenridge Brewery, where we got a beer. And I had to meditate a little bit on my role in all of this, because this was my buddy's first time in the mountains, and I just nearly got him killed. So my experience had been being in the back of the group, ogling my friend's cool gear, their rain jackets and ski boots and whatever else. And this was the first time where I had to look side to side and realize that I was kind of the experienced one. And so I think I realized something important, which is that we do have a responsibility to act in the best interests of others, especially the ones we bring on our trips. And that kind of caught me by surprise in this circumstance. But of course, the further out from civilization you get, the more technical you get, the wider the experience gap in the group, the more important that is. So I come away with it thinking, I got to be really careful about what I assume is going to be a straightforward excursion. And I also have to be careful on assuming that I know what's sort of in the uncomfortable but still fun uh, region of activity for most people, especially people who move from sea level two weeks prior. Uh, <laughs> so I've had a lot more adventure since then, but I look back to that as the tipping point of, of when I had to come into my own and say, you know, I think this is what's best for us as a group, and I hope we don't get hit by lightning. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> that was Neil Severson joining us in Bend, Oregon, on the land of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. As we're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and public lands are being closed and outdoors everywhere are militantly proscribing who should be going outside when, Neil's story cuts right to the core of this by reminding us that we can only really know our own capabilities. Please respect public land closures right now. Please know your own limits and how you purposefully or unintentionally may be guiding others with your actions. As a nurse practitioner myself and expert in public health, I'm here to say with great certainty that the outdoors is one of the safest places you can be while the COVID-19 pandemic is raging. How you act and what you do is how you manage your own risk. Let's agree that public lands management services are doing the best they can in managing their own risks too. So please be respectful and observant of public land closures. Same goes for being respectful of local proclamations that are currently being issued requesting limited movement from place to place. As listeners of this podcast, we assume you're like Neil, a badass adventurer in your own right. So learn from Neil and avoid leading people on adventures that you didn't mean to. Do what you know is safe for you, which right now always means keeping six feet distance from another person to avoid spreading the coronavirus. And now it also means following the new CDC recommendation of covering your face with a homemade cloth mask when outside and coming into contact with others. 
It's still fine to go outside, but it's not fine to go against the recommendations of your public health office, city council, county, or state governments. Do your part to support these efforts and let's avoid trying to center the outdoors as part of the conversation since the outdoors isn't really at the heart of this pandemic. And let's avoid leading folks into risky territory by suggesting otherwise and or by posting our own adventures that we feel safe on. Let's go to our next storyteller today, Christina Curdy from Tacoma Boldly Went. Favorite sport, 16 ounce lift. <laughs> What's your biggest brag? Lunch with Ford, Nixon, and Carter. Wow. Water so president. Whoa. That's weird because with Ken and him doing all the plastic stuff, my grandfather was pivotal. He kind of developed it. So I'm kind of the offspring of who sort of polluted this world. And I apologize on behalf of my grandfather. Here's Christina. I'm somebody that is enthralled with tide pools and small things and I love looking into water where there's little bits of like um, microorganisms and and crabs and little tiny fish that get stuck in tide pools right so I was married we decided to, to take a trip we went to Costa Rica another fucking tropical area where did I come from? Florida, another tropical state. Didn't really want to go, but I went anyway. So we land out. We're there for surfing, because yeah, I did some surfing. He was somebody that loved to travel and walk in areas that he thought he could just walk into. So we grab a car, we head out, we go to the east side of Costa Rica. Ooh, ah, oh, great, okay, gotta go. Went to the west side of Costa Rica where the surf was. And found um, a cute, quaint area. Now, let me tell you, time-wise, this is before most of all y'all went there and populated that side. This was before Jaco became Jaco Fiesta. If you guys know about Playa Hermosa and the huge waves, really was before all y'all got to that area and just kind of commercialized that. So we, we park our stuff in this little tiny new hotel called Taco Fiesta that had air conditioning and hot water. And it was exciting because it was really hot. Dumped our stuff, decided to take a, a walk out. And we started walking around. And I can't tell you exactly, this is 1990, I got married in 93. Don't hold it against me, I am old. But I think it was after that, around 94-ish, 95-ish, we went there. So we're, we're walking around. I can't remember how we found it, but we found this, this quaint, rustling river, right? Looks beautiful. It looks like most of there's cliffs pretty, pretty high because it was mountainy. And he decided, let's go take a look. 
okay, little trepidation here on my side. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to go. So, and I'm going to follow him because I've never been to a foreign country by myself or with somebody that's leaving me alone. So I'm following him like a puppy. We're going through this river and it's, it's rustling. It's pretty cool. We're discovering there's crayfish in here. What do he and I do? We're cheap sons of bitches. <laughs> Breakfast and lunch, wherever we went, we ate off the fat of the land, whatever we could find. If there was, if we went to Hawaii and we found pineapple on the ground, or mangoes, or anything else fruit-wise, we ate that for breakfast and lunch, and then we'd have a real dinner. So we lived fairly cheaply. So we heard and saw, we heard somebody talk about langoustines being in this river. All right, sure, let's go. We're out walking, we find them. We start picking them, and I'm a champ at doing that stuff. I'm a master forager. Some people know, some people don't know here. Mushrooms, crabbing, fishing, I'll hit it until I quit it. <laughs> so, so we're going off and we're finding them. I'm, I'm going, and it, the other side note is I'm pumpkin one, he's pumpkin two. That's how we knew each other. So hey, I go, hey, pumpkin, there's, there's, there's langoustines. Let's, let's start collecting them. He goes, man, pumpkin, I don't know what we're going to put them in. It's not in my pockets. Because these guys have like major claws, right? So we find this bag, this plastic bag in the river. And we're like, well, there's a lot of trash out here. These guys, it was, it was a pretty trash area because the river, even though it had a, a wall to it, like there was rushing river that created this, this, this waterway, people were living on, the other, on either side of it, and so they would dump their trash in. So we picked up a big plastic, yeah, I know, plastic garbage bag with handles and started putting the langoustine. We were putting langoustines in there. And we were also taking trash and picking up the trash on our way through. Uh, we went about a mile, a mile and a half. We're still going, God, this is great. This is amazing. And you, know, you could hear the langoustine going, <laughs> in this plastic bag, you can hear it, and I'm like, this is bitter! And all of a sudden, has anybody ever heard a machete clinking on rock? Yeah, it's tinny, isn't it? And then I start hearing a dog bark. And I'm kind of going, what's going on? And I'm kind of backing away, not seeing anything, and we're still going through. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. And we're still going. And all of a sudden, I see this, I don't know how they just do this, but I see this metal wire that goes straight across to the other side of the wall of the river. And sort of in the middle of it, above my head, because pretty much everything's above my head, because I'm short. It says in Spanish and in English, do not pass. And he walks through. And I'm going, um, pumpkin, um, wait, pumpkin, stop, stop. It says don't. It says don't. This is, this is trespassing. He goes, Psh, they can't stop us. This is nature. You can't put a line across and say you can't pass. And I'm like, ha! 
And I still got a far way to go back or I will go with him like the puppy and follow this poor guy going through. We're going through, we're still going around and I'm still hearing this clink, this metal pink clink, clink. And I'm hearing bah, bah, bah. I'm thinking it's still on the other side. It's, it's, it's over the walls. Well, 10, 15 minutes later, the dog bark gets louder. And I'm still, I mean, we still got bags full of trash, full of legacy, our dinner. And this loud dog bark comes along, and it's a pit bull. And I'm like, Ugh. I called, I said, hey, pumpkin, pumpkin, dog, dog. And he goes, what? Dog! And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm right here. I'm real calm, real, well, I'm not calm. I'm just sort of peeing in my pants. <laughs> and that's the water. That's the blessing of a river, sort of dab. <laughs> Y'all know I've done trail running or water stuff. Dab out. You're good. You're clean. He comes back. I hear this lady and had the machete. No, had the machete. Starts clinking, and she's hitting going, why are you here? Private property. Why are you here? I have this bag still in my hand. And I said, well, we're, we're picking up trash. And she said, what? And this lady's full of big, gnarly bumps. And so is the dog. She's been hit. There's bot flies there. And there's flies all over us. I've got trash. And I'm moving my hand around. And, and she said, you, you trash? You trash? I said, yeah. I picked it up. I said, Coke cans and stuff. You clean the river? I said, yes, we're cleaning. We're walking. It's beautiful. But we're cleaning the river, too. She said, oh. oh. OK. You can go. <laughs> and so I find I'm a servant. I'm a cleaner. I picked up my trash, and I had a free freaking dinner fresh out of the river. <laughs> All right. That was Christina Curdy from Tacoma, Washington, which is land of the Puyallup tribe. Christina's story is a fun one to juxtapose to Neil's. She talks about being led on an expedition into some unfamiliar territory, finding herself in a bind and working her way out. This is true for the adventure she was on, but also a marriage. Just like Christina, we're going to have some things to show from all that we're learning during this COVID-19 pandemic. It might not be a bag full of trash and crawfish, but seriously, what are you doing with your time now? And what is the lasting reward you're going to receive? I really do want to know. This is the last episode of season five. And last week, for the very first time, we had a live online Boldly Went show with our Patreon supporters. It was so fun and so energizing. Seriously, I was so jazzed afterwards that I just couldn't stop thinking of the stories that we heard. And I couldn't go to sleep that night because I was thinking about the amazing people that we have been able to meet. Those are people who are our storytellers in all of our 140 plus episodes, every single audience member who we've shared it with. 
every person who's read our book, to think of the hundreds of thousands of people that we've been in touch with through this creation really just blows my mind. But last week, in just that small group of people that joined us on Patreon, it really made me think of all of these things. Nothing compares to when I get to see and talk with each person individually at our live shows, but I was so happy after seeing people last week online. That's why for the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on pulling people together online. I'll be starting by offering this to our Patreon supporters, and then after we work out additional details, we'll be opening this up to the rest of you. Now, just to say, you don't have to wait for the rest of the world. Everyone is welcome to join us on Patreon as we're working through these building stages. It's actually a really fun opportunity for us to get to know each other even better. When you join us on Patreon, you can expect online adventure storytelling webinars that build up to live shows where people in the workshops can share their newly polished adventure stories. It's going to be so fun, and I seriously can't wait to spend this time together. This, I think, is perfect timing as we're going to be right between seasons five and six of the podcast, and we'll be able to make the most out of our home quarantine time. Most importantly, these online gatherings will be a place where our community has an opportunity to interact more closely, which is a major overarching premise of Boldly Went. To take personal inspiration from adventurers of all kinds and get inspired for what's really possible in our lives. I love knowing all of the people who have interfaced with us are out making adventure a lifestyle, and I like getting tips. I've been so lucky to get tips from them and bring them into my own life, and I think you will like it too. I really hope you'll join us now, actually, on patreon.com slash boldlywent, or later, I'd love to see you either time. But while you're going there now, I'll introduce our final storyteller of this season, And it's a good one. Mindy Roberts is from Tacoma Boldly Went. Here's Mindy. So when you get off the plane in La Paz, Bolivia, you go from sea level here in Tacoma to over 13,000 feet. And that messes with your brain. So instant hypoxia as soon as you get off this plane. So I went down a couple years ago with five of my climbing buddies from Tacoma. And uh, we had a plan to climb all of these peaks. And the cool thing about climbing in Bolivia is you can base camp in La Paz and then go out for like three to four day forays that are very similar to climbing in the Cascades, only higher. So we took off with this three-week plan to go just climb all sorts of different peaks down there. So we get off the plane, we're totally hypoxic, and we go to check in at the hotel. And the man behind the the, uh, desk asks us a very simple question. Very simple. He said, ¿Quién es el jefe? Who is the boss? And so I said, yo! Yo soy el jefe! And he looks at me, and he thought it was weird because there's these five men and me. And so, and then I realized, oh, el jefe. Oh, no, 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 no. Yo soy la jefe. (laughs) And again, he looks at me, and I realize, oh, jefe is also masculine. Okay, 
Yo soy la jefa. And so Ricky basically checks us into the hotel. And I realize just how absolutely hypoxic I am. So we get checked into the hotel. My climbing partners think this is hysterical because I'm the one who speaks the best Spanish down there. I clearly don't have it together. And then we go drop our stuff off and we join up in the hotel to have breakfast. So as we're eating breakfast, the waiter, Benito, comes over. And my climbing partner's again hysterical. Es la jefe. Es la jefa. And so he looks at us and he assesses the situation and he looks at me and says, Oh, la jefacita. So la jefacita roughly translates to little boss lady. And so at that moment, I had two choices. I could be minorly irritated because I don't like putting bossy with female bosses, but I chose a different path. I chose. This fits me. Yes, I am la jefacita. So for the rest of the trip, my climbing partners, they actually wrote jefacita in Sharpie on their palms so that they could remember the one Spanish word they learned that entire trip was la jefacita. So we spent a couple days in, in La Paz trying to acclimate to 13,000 feet. And then our first trip out, we, we had all sorts of adventures. I'll just tell the story in the very first place. We went out to uh, Condoriri National Park. So condors have these, it, the, the national park has this beautiful peak of mountains with the outline is like a condor's wings. It's absolutely astounding. It's beautiful. So we get up there to base camp at 15,000 feet and decide, you know what, we're going to hang out here for a couple days before we climb our objective was Pequeño Alpamayo. So that was a little over 17,000 feet. So we get to base camp. We walk in, and we drop our stuff. And because I'm la jefacita, you go put up the tent. You go get the water. And I'm watching my climbing partners, and I realize three of them are struggling. One of them took over an hour to put a tent together that at this altitude would take two minutes. Another one struggled with carrying back piles of water uh, back to the camp. So I realized these guys were in trouble. So we held, we stayed at camp, and I made dinner for everybody. I'll get back to the dinner in a moment. And the next morning, we woke up, and our first travels were going to be like a little sub-peak of Pequeño Apamayo, about, you know, 17, 16,000 feet or so. And I really wanted to climb this peak. We had like eight different peaks we were going to climb, and two of our guys were ready to do that. But my three climbing partners were not. And I realized my job as la jefacita was to work with my three buddies who weren't doing so well. So I got them all hydrated. Our two friends took off, uh, got them fed, kind of hung out for a little while. And then by that afternoon, they were well enough to go for a walk. And we figured, OK, let's go for a walk, which turned out to be a scramble to about 16,000 feet elevation. But as we're coming back down to our tents, they're still kind of struggling a little bit. We find the most lovely Bolivian woman who asks us this question with this impish grin on her face. And I still remember the question. The question is, quieren truchas? So what that means in Spanish is, would you like some trout? So back to the dinner the night before. So I had brought all sorts of food from the lowlands here that I thought would hydrate just fine at altitude. It was like fast cooking rice noodles, some vegetables, some sauce. I don't know what it was, but as we threw it into the pot and I cooked for my stricken partners, it was nasty. It was disgusting. It was like this giant clump of glue. You couldn't really swallow it, but it was at least some calories. So everybody ate the stuff, like forced it down. We felt terrible. So when this lovely Bolivian woman asked us, would you like some trout? The answer was, oh, yeah, we want trout. And so we realized. OK, so we four were ready to eat trout. Our two climbing partners were up on the White Pyramid. 
And so we explained this to her in Spanish, and she told us, well, I only have four fish. And so we did the math. We're like, screw them. Let's go eat the trout. <laughs> so we left our climbing partners a little note in camp that basically said, hey, we're off eating trout with this lovely Bolivian woman. You're on your own for dinner. And we had what I have to say was the most scrumptious backcountry meal everywhere. She fried up these trout. She fried up potatoes. It was astounding. Like the crispness in our mouth, the flavor. It was so amazing. And then we had to go back to camp to face our climbing partners. So we kind of sheepishly came back in. And after a little while, they're like, yeah, we probably would have done the same to you. So we had trout. We were newly rejuvenated. The next day, we take off to go climb Pequeño up a mile. And it's about a 2,500-foot elevation ga gain from camp. So reasonable to do as a day trip, right? I mean, it's not even like climbing Mount Sai, except you start at 15,000 feet elevation gain. And I will say that this, the type of climbing on Pequeño up a mile, so up a mile is a famous peak in the Himalayas, lovely snow ridge, and Pequeño up a mile is just that. It's lovely, and uh, it's about a 60-degree hard snow slope. You have to rope up crampons, ice axes, the whole thing. And it's the most beautiful climbing. You could just kind of kick your crampons in, get your picks up, and you're climbing, climbing, climbing until your body realizes you are at 17,000 feet enough. And so you just stop and just hang there for a moment and then off you go again. But it was the most beautiful climbing up. We get up to the top and all of us were so proud. We had learned these skills here in Tacoma. We were applying them to this lovely peak in, in, in uh, Bolivia. We got to the top, we're so proud of ourselves. It's a bluebird day. We walk, look out to the plains of the Altiplano. We looked at all these peaks that we were gonna go climb. It was astounding. It was honestly one of my favorite summits ever with some of my favorite people. And so we climb back down, get back to base camp, clean up, head back into La Paz, and we got some devastating news when we got to La Paz. We got an email that one of our uh, climbing partners from here in Tacoma had died. And his name was Hardy. He was a Vietnam veteran, uh, army ranger, tough as nails man, and he, uh, he either had a stroke and then fell unroped climbing near Leavenworth, or he had a stroke first and then uh, was injured on the way down. So we went to see him before we left for Bolivia, and he was getting better. His jar was shut. He couldn't speak. We talked about our trip. He was so excited for us, and he was getting better when we left. And when we came back, we found out that he had a blood clot had dislodged and had killed him. And so it was one of those moments coming off of the peak of Pequeño Apamayo, back down and getting this just horrible news. And then we also, I also found out that two of my climbing inspirations, Sue Knott and Karen McNeil, had disappeared climbing on Mount Foraker. And just a few months before that, I was taking an ice climbing clinic from them. We were talking about our trip to Bolivia. Karen was giving us all sorts of beta on routes. They were talking about their trip to Mount Foraker. And I realized in that moment, even smart and very skilled women can die in the mountains. And so it was just this very sobering realization when our whole trip was actually based on the year before, the inspiration for it was actually the deaths of two other people. My dad died of colon cancer at 62. And he died when he had retired. He got bored and he went back to work. My climbing mentor also died at 62, but she died in a fall from Sharkfin Tower. And she was out climbing with people half of her age until her death. And as I looked at these two people, my dad who I loved, my climbing mentor who I respected, I realized you can die anywhere. At this point, I am going to choose a life of adventure. I understand the risks, but I choose adventure, and I choose to be La Jefacita. Thank you.
That was Mindy Roberts joining us at Tacoma Boldly Went on Puyallup Land about how she became the boss of her team, her dinner, and the outcome of her life. Mindy's story is going to be featured in the first ever Wait For It. Yes, I'm really excited to share this news with you today. I've been threatening to do this for a long time. For the last four months, I have been working so hard on a big project to put a cherry on top of season five, and I'm so super excited to let you know that it's finally here. Are you ready? It's the first ever Boldly Went journal. I am so excited to finally share this news with you because I've been dying to tell you about it. It's a collection of inspiring adventure stories, outdoor art, and remarkable photography blended with instructional workbook style exercises focused on helping you to write your own amazing adventure story using the Boldly Went 5 rule strategy to telling your adventure story. The final touches are happening now to the journal. I definitely want you to be among the first to get a copy when this goes on sale in just a couple more weeks. So please, please, please make sure you're on our email list. You know you're on it if you get our weekly emails on Mondays where we announce all our new releases and important information. If you're not getting those, then you need to sign up. So click in the show notes of whatever podcast app you're listening on right now or Go to www.boldlywentadventures.com right now and sign up for updates. Seriously, I am so excited about this, and I do want to say a special thanks to Marika Carradine, who was the creative director for this project and who worked so hard in making this project a dream come true. Sign up for updates now, www.boldlywentadventures.com. That's it for this week's podcast and for season five. Thank you so much for sharing the adventure with us. Other thanks for this podcast are attributed to all of our Patreon supporters. We loved seeing you last week. I loved seeing you so much. And I can't wait to see you a lot more in the next month where we'll be posting exclusive links to more shows, webinars, and discounts for the new journal. The musicians, Merricks, Michaela Elias, our audio editor, production assistant, our Tacoma supporters, Tacoma Brewery, our band supporters, Foot Zone, Deschutes Brewery. Also, two, Lightning, Experience, Breakups, Cleaning Up, Foraging, Trout Dinners, Mountaineering, Working Through Hard Times. Finally, thank you to being the boss of your life. If you're still listening, thanks. This is the end of season five, and I cannot wait to share this sandwich time with you between now and season six. We'll be having a series of live in-person gatherings online. Please join us by going to our Patreon page now at patreon.com slash boldlywent. At Boldly Went, we believe that the outdoors is for everyone, weekend warriors and pro athletes, and that people of all kinds need equal access to share their inspiring, intriguing, and impactful adventure stories. That's why we do what we do, create live shows, adventure storytelling workshops where we teach you how to spin your tail into an edge of seat nail biter. And during the next month, we want you to have the chance to get to know each other better by joining us at our workshops. 
This is going to be a great opportunity to help you expand your network from your local community to the larger multi-state, multi-country Boldly Wentz community. It's a rare opportunity where we get to actually all come together in the same space, so join up. As a side note, I am here to help you get through this COVID-19 pandemic too, and we'll be sharing important updates with you during these get-togethers. I'm a nurse practitioner working on the front lines and a public health expert. Recommendations are changing rapidly, so I will be your source of informed and reliable medical information if you want it. Our gatherings will have brief updates and are safe places for you to get answers to your important questions. Please, this is a service that is not having to do with Boldly Went. It's just my background, and I am happy to offer it to you. So please join up and get the information you need. We'll get through this together. I'm Angel Mathis, proudly bringing you this podcast from all over the world. Ignite your adventure.